Hello, and thank you for joining us for the second episode of The Imperfect Clinician. My name is Mike Grudzinski. And it's Ewan. So this episode, we're going to talk about where we are now. We're going to share our own reflection on our personal and professional journey. And you can see they will be linked one way or another. And then we'll talk about the why and how how we got here and perhaps link this into third episode. Thank you for your time. Yeah, so we're going to start, uh, maybe let's explain why is it important to look at both personal and um, professional growth or, or assessment of where we are. Why, why is it important? I, I think from my own personal perspective, I can reflect on my journey as a clinician because we, I have always interacted with other clinicians and everyone in the team. But at the start, I felt that I've always keep people at arm length. Perhaps I wasn't very ready to delve into being vulnerable, being open. We still have a good relationship, but I want to say not to deep entrenching opening up fears sharing hardest deepest experience that way and now I feel that once I've reflected on how I am as a person how I've led or how I'm leading now as a clinician has changed well I've I've noticed that I have always uh, appeared to be quite open with others and quite uh, happy um, engaging with people on the professional level, definitely. But when it comes to um, more meaningful, trusted um, relationship or approach, that was something that I probably have been lacking in the past. And I I noticed that through or starting to realize that you get much better um, results is a bad way of calling it, really. Dynamic. Dynamic between uh, the other clinicians or, or staff you're working with um, and that leads to happier unit of of a team. Mm. I want to share a few things that I've read, which strongly reflect how I felt. It's um, a few books, but one of the more recent one by Dr. Sean Ginwright about the four pivots and he mentioned about the importance of mirror work so essentially when you look at the mirror you're looking at reflection and the learning and how it's so important as a leader that you need to reflect inwards so that you don't 
take your own personal trauma or your own experience and project it to other people or your team. And there's another book by Killian No. She she runs like a recovery cafe that serves people with mental health issues. And she says in a book, Descent into Love, paraphrasing here, but the feel that I got is she said we have to open up to other people. Um, we have to give up the need to become separate and then we can help. So working on ourselves while working for others, the both inner and outer work. So we can't do one without the other because it's a bridge that links both together and I think it really allowed me to look at my way of leading as a clinician and the team around me and how can I identify my strengths because that took a while to get to I think perhaps for myself and perhaps for a lot of people who just started, when you just started, you want to prove yourself. You want to show others that you're good enough. And so you are, or I am, trying to avoid situations where I can be deemed as not good enough. So keeping people at arm length so then they don't have to know about my fears. They don't have to know about my flaws. And once I've proven myself I feel that then perhaps I'm more ready to open myself up so you create like a shield around you of um the things that you don't know yes okay and then but I want to go back to when you were talking about this mirror and to to put away uh when you thinking about work to stay away from your personal trauma don't bring it into work so how in that respect we are supposed to link our own uh, personal experience growth with a professional one i think because the, the thought of talking about my fears feels like a weakness from both the personal and professional perspective. And especially when I don't feel there is a psychological safety at work to talk about it. And it's hard to be courageous enough to be the first one that modeled this behavior because you don't know how other people are going to react. So now after realizing that for my team, I'm modeling that behavior and creating a group or a safe space. And so what I would say to my team is you're in a safe space. You can hang up your armor today and I'm here for you. And I will share my own, my own fears, my own insecurities. So they feel that they're able to share it as well. And this is the way to, but you, you can only get to this position where you are able to encourage your team to be open with you 
after doing some work on it for a longer period of time. Yes, it's, within myself. It's not something that... So when you are starting working with a team or the team changes dramatically or people come and go or whatever, you, you are put in a new position and it feels like the trust and the need for for the new, I don't know, for a new start or for a new opening like in cards do you have to start doing it from the scratch every time something major happens or, or is it something that is a transferable skill that you can carry with you the the initial i'm talking about the initial period of uh, before you get people to open themselves how how would you um encourage people to do it if you're in a new team or is it just a function of time? Um, it's a function of time and effort because to build that trust, you have to show action and behaviours with time because trust has to, has to be earned and not forced. So the relationship that I build with my team is built with time and with mindfulness and with effort. And so it takes some time, I'm trying to say it's not immediate, before we can get to the psychological safety. Because I also have to build relationship with them before I feel safe to talk about my own fears feels like the process of it is a bit like uh, in a relationship. Yes. Where you um, need to test somebody and the test of time is something that is probably unavoidable to gain and to build trust between people to create their open space between... Um, ah, so this is what you can learn, where you can learn, you can transfer... And I think there are some, there must be some ways of um, shortening the distance between you and the other person or other people in the team. I think difficult moments that you share together, some problems, that is something that puts people closer. Yep. Um, especially in the initial phase because that just shortens the distance. If everything is super great all the time you don't feel the need to be safe really yeah so back to two points you said there about the transferable skills which is why i think you can't just look at being a courageous leader you have to be a courageous person at home in relationship as a parent in the family and i think that all interlink so yes when you show a front that is without cracks, it makes people feel that you're quite hard to approach. So I've, I've had, I probably come across like that before. I've come across people like that before. And it makes me feel that they're quite cold as a person. Perhaps... I was also having my armor on there. Well, that's the armor. That's sort of mm. uh, the first barrier that you have to break to invest time or effort 
and or effort to open up and to, I don't know, warm up to the person. But is it um, going back to the relationship or beginning of the relationship where uh, you're trying to present yourself as the better than you are? Because in most relationships, uh, people want to, you know, if you're going on a first date, you, you do make a little bit of effort. If you don't dress the best suit that you have, then you sort of think about, oh, what am I going to talk about? There is always some sort yes, of element yeah. of preparation. Of course. And, and it's the same, I believe, at work in, in that respect. When you are joining a team, you want to present yourself as a knowledgeable and you try to avoid the, those issues that might not present you in the best light. Yes, definitely. And... Yes, the part about relationship, I get it. I think uh, looking back, the younger I was, the more I feel the need to prove myself because my confidence about myself wasn't as well as me getting older and having more self-awareness. And you talked about shortening the distance at work. So showing vulnerability, sharing your experience and insecurity, not as deep as personal trauma straight away, but sharing day-to-day -day struggles, that makes me feel relatable if I hear that from somebody to say that we have similar struggles, you're not on your own, I can understand some part of how you're feeling, makes me feel safe in opening up about struggles at work. And then with time, it builds onto something deeper and a better connection. And it is important, uh, this initial period is, I think, very important in establishing confidence with how you present your uh, professional skills. I mean, we could go back to the title, Where Are You Now?, and think about if we compare our professional life and relationships with others at work we can start with thinking where are we now or how open how trusting can we be in the relationship with the partner with children with the parents i mean we're going to delve into um, the journey from when we were very young because this is very important in the in future episodes but i think it's worth for all of us to, to have a little thing to say, am I in a relationship that I can be fully open, trusting, and that I can be vulnerable? Because it will be difficult to transfer those skills onto your workplace to become a successful leader or a clinician without having this experience from elsewhere. Would you agree? I... Yes, to some extent. So I feel that the most, for me, the most important step for me is to to have some time for introspection, where I reflect inwards into why. If I'm in a relationship where I don't feel I can be completely myself, or I can't communicate as well as I can, or we're having arguments, why? What is causing it? 
and from that why delve deeper into a fear. So I wanted to, when we talk about fears, I think sometimes we don't think about it because it comes so naturally to us. Would you agree that it, with your relationship, um, it is a bit the same if you if you're in your relationship with other people in the private life, you are not close, then you're not going to be close with your staff, with your team members. So do you mean private life as in family? Yeah. Okay. Or I, partner, you know, whatever. I think they'll be vastly different how people see family and professional life. And people tend to separate the both because you feel that you belong in a family. And so when I when I get this... But what is stopping you from belonging in a workplace? This is, I think, very important. Yes. Yeah, the sense of belonging. Yes, because I think... Okay, so for me, I am Chinese. So that sense of belonging has always been something that I try to hide in terms of my authentic self. So every time when I go to, especially when I start a new job, I wouldn't go, oh, it's Chinese New Year, let's celebrate about it. I'll go, oh, are you celebrating Christmas? Yeah, I'm, go I'm going to join in because I want to blend in and not stand out. Okay, so are you fitting in? You're trying yes, to fit in? Yes, I'm trying fit to in. fit in. I'm trying not to stand out. So then that sense of belonging is not really there because I feel that I can't have my whole self, my authentic self in it. So now, looking back at how I was, so Chinese New Year in February, I was able to tell everyone it's Chinese New Year say to everyone in Chinese New Year, decorate, bring decorations to work. There have been some colleagues who've been really accepting of who I am, or a lot of colleagues who've been really accept, um, accepting who I am as a person and my culture, and they provide me with that sense of belonging. Okay, so there is a homework for everybody to think, do they try to fit in, or do they feel that they belong? in the team they're working in. Yeah. I think it's a good starting point in, in deciding what am I doing and how am I trying to achieve that. There is a pressure on people to just be team players and um, making sure that people fulfill the tasks that are that are assigned to the team. But what does team playing actually mean? What what is team playing for you? I I've been asked that question before in similar sense. I've been asked, you know, um how do you create a team that is highly performing? Because we would like to replicate your team. We would like you to do something similar in in our workplace. And I tell them I I don't look at the numbers. So I don't look at their workload. I look at the relationship. So I look at the trust. I look at the sense of belonging because I believe if there is trust 
cultivated in the team and this is ongoing effort and if they feel listened to if they feel appreciated then they will do their best to put their best foot forward without you asking you just have to get out of the way so my role I feel as a leader as a clinician is to provide an environment for everyone in the team to grow it might be different people will need different environment but I'm building on the sense of belonging so I I tell them that strong relationships are really for me the foundation of any cohesive high performing team and strong relationship has to start with trust so my work is to build on that and I believe everything else would come with I've seen examples of it in my team and I I can see how much people appreciate the effort of being listened to but that's not always uh, the case um, a lot of uh, clinicians work in teams that do not focus on um, the productivity achieved by the relationships they are put in a position of a productivity based on targets yes so that brings us to um Simon Sinek's book the infinite game and he talks about finite and infinite mindset and i fully agree with it because with the finite mindset you approach it in a productivity measurable standards but in doing that you lose the humanity so you're looking at the numbers and you don't really care about the people and I probably so you care about the job getting the job done you, yeah you get you you get you caring about getting the job done regardless of how so what are the r- risks of it the, the risks of it are that your job satisfaction is going to be poor because you are not going to contribute to the the vision of the to the vision of the team yeah, yeah so you because know, you so, can't work towards a number you have to work towards a common goal and so when you have a common goal you even when times are hard you ha- you have something to work towards whereas if you just look at the numbers just look at the productivity and don't care and don't listen to people then what you get is very poor job retention people don't care because you're modeling that behavior aren't you if you don't care about the people that you work with why should they care so we're trying to say that finite idea of um, work would fit into what we were talking about in the first episode with the digital and analog skills so the finite and something that's measurable would not fulfill the criteria of having a broader discussion about how the teams interact with each other or people interact within the team 
uh, we're just looking at the numbers that um, allow us to complete the task. Yeah, I'll give you an example. So finite is you look at the scarcity mindset or a zero sum. It's either you win, I lose, or the other way around. Yeah, it's, it's digital. It's yeah. either there's a win or a lose, either yes. achieved or not achieved. Yes. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And when you look at infinite mindset, you're looking at a continuous journey. You're continuously improving and you're looking at skill sets like trust, like sense of belonging, like, like commitment. commitment, working towards a vision, a goal, and it's constantly changing. So you, it's, you have to be adaptable to the people that you've got and the vision that you have and how to get there. So it's not an end goal. Um, it's not to be the best at something. It's how to be better than how you are yesterday. So you're continuously growing and you're continuously adapting with everything that's ever changing around you. Okay, so in that respect, how do you recruit for a team like that? Can anybody fulfill the vision or if, if the leadership is supportive of uh, those analog skills development. So mm -hmm. uh, people being committed, people understanding the vision, understanding the the road to take you to the vision. How do you recruit? Can everybody, can anybody join the team and be directed? That the, the, is it a function of time? Is it the function of special um, characteristics you're looking for when you're recruiting? I want to say yes, everyone can, but I would be looking not for... Not at all cost. Not, <laughs> I would be looking at people who are open-minded, who are willing to be courageous or to do things differently. So the feedback that I've got from students, from the people that I work with is I've never had... Um, a manager like you or I've never had a leader like you or we've never spoken to anybody like you before because it's a new way of doing things in my circle at least I don't know wider probably you will have but it's because it's such a new thing you always go into it myself included with some I don't know how it's going to work I know where I want it to go and I will communicate that very clearly to everyone that's involved in the team and we'll work towards that and it's a constant sometimes I get feedback to say this doesn't work that's good now I know let's discuss what works for you for me and for the team well I'm currently in a position where I work uh, across many different teams and I also affect teams of the units that I visit um, in terms of their compliance and safety of, of, uh, of the patients. And you can quite quickly notice what sort of environment people are working in. When I travel across different teams, I can see people being 
open to a different degree and I'm basing my advice that I provide to those teams on how open they are to, how ready they are to receive that. And I notice that sometimes you have to try to get through many, many times and going heavy-handed is almost never a good option. So you have to find the connection to let people understand the why you want to introduce certain change because it has an impact on patient safety, because it has an impact on operating workflow. And this is important for me to get the buy-in. So, so, so let people understand how, how it's going to benefit them or people they care for or look after or, or, or see. Yeah, no, I agree. Because I've been asked how to create trust in a team. Because I think in your case, when you see so many different people in a short amount of time, it's harder with you not seeing them regularly. So then it's harder to build that connection. And I I see trust like you almost need to build a bridge. And that is a bridge of connection. And what are the ingredients to build that connection? For me, it's vulnerability and safety. So these are the two crucial ingredients. In a function of time. In a function of time, yes. I find that when I have a nucleus group or unit that is doing it with the addition of people, the culture has already been set up. So people come in accepting the culture that is already in the work group. Setting up the culture takes time. But once the unit is set up, then any newcomers will then automatically adapt to it because as all newcomers, you're trying to fit in. So then in the process of fitting in, if they're able to find their sense of belonging, then we can slowly build that connection. So we go in here to uh, talk. We, as clinicians, we work in uh, amongst group of people that have been repeatedly and by many different instances of people uh, saying that we're working in inefficient environments. Uh, that uh, our roles need to change. Our teams need to change to embrace the new challenges and the new uh, future, why is it so, why is it acceptable still just to get new team members just to fit in? Why leaders prevent people from changing this culture? Because if you want to introduce a change or if you want to, if the goal of the team is to change in a way, you need to encourage newcomers to uh, be themselves yeah but the problem is first of all few problems really leaders are not modeling that behavior so they're not aware of it themselves yes it's easy to ask for change but if you you need to model it you need to hold people accountable and those are hard things that a lot of people struggle with what do you keep people accountable to the vision, the targets, the change, 
what what do you keep people accountable to? It depends on what is your expectation that's clearly set up. So based on my experience, I've never had that conversation ever with anyone that's employed me in terms of the expectation from the connection, sense of belonging, the vision perspective. So yeah, the management, uh, the expectation is usually quite... Would you would you like it? W- would you like people to get you to understand the, the, the whys of the organisation or Definitely. the unit? Definitely, yeah. Because you, you will see, or you probably have seen more now, people are talking about their whys instead of just, we are the best in A, we are the best in B. Just like when Apple launched their product in the past they're talking about a lifestyle they're talking about a wine they're talking about a culture they're not talking about the product this is what they're trying to say but they're looking at the why as a way of marketing their product so usually when you have job interviews they will say we want you to do a b c d e which is all digital things but nothing about the vision So for you to be part of the team, I need you to be, I don't know, vulnerable. I need you to have a sense of belonging. Not that this is something that is a yes or no in terms of the job interview. When they come into the role, it's a culture. So when you talk about newcomers coming in, it's going to be really hard if there is not already existing work putting into the existing team either to change the culture that has been all this time away and now they would like it to change it for the better or change it for a better connection that requires a lot of work already because as we know with change there's a lot of resistance and without changing that almost nucleus unit any newcomers will then just falls into the system that is already in place which is not a great system. So if... all pressure on the leaders. And and this is why the idea of promoting people within the same team to become leaders is hardly ever a good idea. Because you need a very strong individual to take over the team and set the new vision. Because they're usually entrenched in the workflow that's been going. And there is no... It, it, I think it works often better to have somebody from the that wasn't part of the immediate team to to lead the team if there is a change in the leader. Mm. And perhaps some of it it's because you don't have existing fears. You go in into it if you're a new leader almost with the fresh coat of paint, or you go in but with your barriers. Yeah, with, with your, your own barriers. Yes, okay. and I think the hardest thing. It's because, myself included, before I did the inner work, I wasn't able to do that to an extent that I can influence people around me significantly. And that comes from a lot, a lot of work, reading, writing, reflection, that got me to this point and I'm still learning. I'm not getting it right yet. I'm still trying to get there or get to the point of growth that I want to learn about 
everyone in the team. I want to, what you said about taking over, my, my thought is I want to empower every single person in my team to be a leader using their own strength because I can't be a leader in everything. I can be a leader in some things, but I want to use this as an opportunity to allow people to work on their personal leadership and then transfer that skill across to organizational leadership. No, I completely agree. I, I think it's very important to employ people who know better than you about certain things. If you were to delegate somebody to do a certain job, it's good to find somebody that is better than you. Mm, I think it's... Mm, I'm with... talking about pro professional knowledge, yeah? If you are trying to... You don't have to have ultimate knowledge of everything, but if they can lead their agenda, I don't need to be an engineer to design the idea of a product. I don't need to be an experienced clinician to give the direction to the whole unit. There might be much more experienced clinicians that are we're able in a team to empower to let them shine. Because otherwise you're going you're risking that they're going to be subdued and not happy with their um, growth, development, however you want to describe it, and you're going to end up with problem of poor retention and disappointment. So, so you're, in your terms of experience, clinician, I think we have to be quite clear in experience, in reflecting on yourself, doing the work on yourself, because this is what you're asking the Absolutely. team to do not experience in the clinical perspective yes that will help because people might be inclined to listen to you more because you know about more clinical things and that's a start only that though if you have clinical knowledge and this means nothing if you're not sharing it, if you're not making others better yeah. that, that just means nothing it's art for artists only you know mm -hmm. if you want to be a useful part of the team or work for your patients or people in a team you need to find a way to use this knowledge for others benefit i personally have always done i've never been guardian of my clinical knowledge and i think it comes from initial openness i want people to learn more i want people to understand why amongst clinicians empathy is important everybody seems to know why empathy is important by why is it really what what does it mean for each individual i want some examples from people to tell me what have they done to embrace empathy what have they done to embrace those analog skills we were talking about in in the first episode and mainly to have empathy for yourself that's very important because if you uh, don't love yourself how are you going to love others Yeah, and this is like a cringy one-liner that a lot of people do say, but how often do they reflect on how they speak to themselves? And how often do they see how they speak to others and turn it the other way around and say, do I speak that way to myself or am I actually more critical to myself compared to others. So 
what we discuss about our our personal areas of improvement I've done quite a few of I've done quite a few things to measure it to some extent but there is one I find really helpful and we'll put the links below but it's the Brene Brown wholehearted inventory so we did that for the both of us and we'll share our two areas of improvement and we go into delve more in the next episode so what's yours mike first before before i share it i think that uh, part of topic of our of our episode is to understand where we are and using external tools which are many and there is the world is plentiful it's important to at least have a go at it because this will allow you to sit down and reflect. That's what it did to me. I think it's important to find time to look at it and discuss it with yourself or with others. I mean, we've been discussing ours quite extensively and this is always a benefit for us in the future because you are effectively dissecting your current self. Yes, and I think for for me when we were discussing it together it was really interesting for me to understand not just about myself but to understand each other from from your perspective how does it come across for you so my I'll share mine too mine is exhaustion as a status symbol and perfectionism what about yours? So yeah, let's let's talk about the in inventory that we did with help of Brene Brown, which yeah, so big love to her. Yes, so this is the the inventory is on her website. It's on brenebrown.com. We'll copy the link in our episode page. So why don't you share with us what were your two things that you should let go of? Huh. So things that I need to improve. Yes. Mine is exhaustion as a status symbol. That's one. And perfectionism S2. What are yours? Well, mine was numbing and powerlessness. Okay. As the thing I should let go of. And anxiety as a lifestyle. Okay. Okay, so these are two things that I scored least. It wasn't awfully terrible scores oh but you don't the, have to you don't have to justify areas, it but these are definitely areas that i think i would benefit from uh, improving but what what's on the opposite scale so what do you want to work towards with those wait why do you feel like you have to explain that you're not too low on the score is it because your armor is coming well potentially yeah i yeah. mean yeah i'm looking at the scores and i'm like oh well actually uh, it's not all that bad, but this is a form of showing, yeah, well, actually, in comparison, but then I realized that I don't really have comparison, comparison with what? Comparison <laughs> is a thief of joy. Comparison is a thief of joy. That's very true. Yeah, so the numbing and powerlessness would be contraposed with resilient spirit. Okay, so what does numbing mean to you? 
What do you understand from the word numbing? Numbing is where facing the problem, you decide to, um, rather than reflect on it, to become stronger and more resilient in the future, you try to scroll the screen, do something that has got little to do with reflection, that you don't close that chapter, that it sits in you and it gets you all built up for the future. Can I expand a bit more on numbing behavior just for our listeners? So numbing is class S um, an avoidance. So we're trying to cut off that feeling. So it can be done like what Mike said about scrolling on your phone, going through the internet. It can be eating, it can be shopping, it can be alcohol, it can be drugs. Numbing can come in a lot of forms. And I think... So it's essentially avoiding of the reflection. Would you say, yeah? I would say avoidance of how you're feeling because you felt stress, you had a difficult day, you don't want to face the feeling or feelings. What you would then do is you would numb by doing something else to distract, to watch the TV and not think about the day. And... Yeah, you're running away from the problem. Okay, so let's go to the other one, the anxiety as a lifestyle. And Brene transposes it with calm and stillness. But anxiety, in my case, is there are the little things in my life that can... Because we all have some level of anxiety. So I agree, and every, yes. And everybody has got slightly different ones. Mm-hmm. I, for example, like to make sure that all the things that I set up in my little brain to have completed, that they're done. Such as? Such as, for example, I before I go to sleep, I need to make sure that all the doors locked. Mm-hmm. Yeah? Um, that if I have a weekly routine to fulfill, that I'm doing things in a certain order. So it is a little bit of plant routine that guarantees me peace of mind. And you like the predictability of it. And the predictability of it okay. uh, puts me in the more uh, defensive mode in terms of, right, I am safe here because I've done this, that and the other. So sticking to the routine allows me to have peace of mind in a way. Hmm. And I also wanted to clarify you can't remove anxiety completely. Oh yeah, you, that's very true. It's you, a very good uh, mechanism for our body to, to respond to things. Yes, you, our, I feel that our role is first of all, be mindful of it. And second of all, to avoid it um, becoming something that is chronic and debilitating, like patients with anxiety. Yeah, that's very true. Then when we're talking about uh, the true anxiety in a clinical form, yes. as such. yeah. So how about your two? Tell me more about them. So mine was um, exhaustion as a status symbol. And I have to let go of that. What, what, what is it? Tell me more about what is it and what does Brene transposes it with? So... 
I need to cultivate play and rest. So exhaustion as a status symbol and productivity as self-worth. It's almost as if if I don't do anything productive, I'm wasting my time. And yeah. for me... You find playing a challenge <laughs> of doing yes. something numbing. <laughs> yeah. Um, I I now have more mindfulness about numbing and I've done a tremendous amount of effort to let that become a crutch. For me now, it's learning how to play. So it's work in progress. I've got a few books that I'm reading about play. One of it is Dr. Stuart Brown, I believe. And I'm learning about play and how it can be and how it can't be. You just have to play. Yeah, and, and I think for you it's very easy to say that because it comes naturally to you. I think in the next episode when we delve a little bit deeper into where we come from and what led us to where we are now, I think it would be good to say about the strong points as well. And because from those strong points, we can learn from each other. How do we overcome those with poorly scored? Can I just say, I wouldn't use the word overcome. I would use the word ongoing progress. That the areas that True. I have perhaps scored better are the areas that I've put more effort in. So this is... Yeah, well, um, we, we're not doing it for score in terms of like... Yeah, it's more as a, as a tool to allow me to reflect on where I am now because I feel that if I do it in a month's time, it might change again depending on what effort I've put in in the past month. We want to do it in the infinite mindset rather than finite. Yes, exactly. And my other one that you've mentioned is letting go of perfectionism and cultivating self-compassion. So some of it is linked to what we discussed earlier on about being critical to yourself. And I think when we when we dig deep into our next episode, you will see why you might be able to identify not the situation, but perhaps the feelings that we are going to be sharing deep and raw ones. How do you feel? Deep and raw. Scary. <laughs> scary, scary. No, not, not scared. I wouldn't say that I feel scared. I feel conscious mm -hmm. of the fact that uh, you might be talking about things that you wouldn't normally, especially with the wider public. And how would you feel about that? I think it's worth doing. I think on the whole, it's worth doing to see how we can be better. I think it's impossible to... So it feels that what you're saying to me is your vision to grow from this and to help others grow overcomes the fear of talking about it. Because I, I think it's going to be very hard for anyone to say, I'm not scared about talking about my past. Because if you haven't, you you would have talked about it easily ages ago to a lot of people. That is true. That, that is uh, And I true. think the first step of it, acknowledging your fears and knowing that, yes, it is hard, 
yes, I'm being very courageous to do it, is the step. I think that it, I am in general quite open person and I talk about uh, a lot of things. I don't, don't have a lot of secrets, but I think that makes probably much easier to discuss and those that are harder to discuss are still hiding somewhere in the in yourself in yes, myself and what's stopping you from talking about the things that are hiding within yourself because you are open to some extent not completely so because we all have that to some extent we have things that we're happy to share and there are things that we don't talk about it at all or things that we talk about it to one or two people or even less what do you think it's stopping you most of it is really uninteresting no i th i think that so is it the fear of being perceived as uninteresting it's the no, no it's not even that i think it's there are some things that you probably have not come to terms uh, yourself yet or what you might be still working on or you choose not to and the i the feelings think, are too raw i think the feelings might be too raw and still not completed i mean you can't complete the feelings but uh, there are certain events potentially that might be still an open chapter and it's difficult to discuss as it goes along it it would be otherwise you would be running commentary and there are certain things that i think that it might be better to resolve on my own it doesn't necessarily always have to be true or the best course of action but that's what the brain's saying that right i'm not going to talk Protection. about things but it, it, it's it, armor. it is the armor yeah, yeah it must be okay so get ready for our next episode when we dig deep so i hope you are able to relate to what we're saying reflect and rise see you next time see you next time it's been Ewan and Mike and you have been listening to the Imperfect Clinician podcast you can follow the Imperfect Clinician on Instagram Twitter and Facebook you will find all the information about our episodes on our website theimperfectclinician.com where you can join the discussion by leaving us a voicemail or comment. If you haven't yet, please subscribe, rate and review our podcast wherever you listen to it. Recommend the podcast to one person that will benefit from it. Join us next week for another conversation. Thank you for listening. <laughs>